0: All right, today we are continuing our journey down the disarming communication pathway. So, what on earth does that mean? In the last two episodes, if you haven't listened, definitely go listen. We, I introduced disarming communication, which means it's it's a way of communicating. It's a way of changing the way we we communicate to disarm kids. Because often, at least in America, we communicate in such a way where we demand respect from kids. It's often authoritarian. And yes, we are the authority in the home, but our communication doesn't always need to demand respect. Respect begets respect. So showing some respect, showing the ability to pass off some of the control to the child is really what is going to get respect in the long run. So, we talked in previous episodes about body language, how that matters because there are all these elements of body language and how they play into your communication. Your words can say one thing, but your body language can say another. Kids read through that. Then we talked about the strategy called IC. And it's a way of posing a problem instead of telling a child what to do. So, go back and listen to those. Today, we're digging into Probably not not a shockingly new strategy, but choices. And there's a reason I want to talk about this because one, I have found that choices are really key in reducing the power struggles and getting kids to listen because kids who need a sense of control, kids who need to have a sense of power, kids who are more defiant, they do well with communication around having the opportunity to make a choice, but why I felt compelled to talk about this today is because we typically don't offer choices in the best form or in the best way. So how can we stop policing our kiddos, just telling them what to do all day, give them some power and control back and help them to make independent choices and offer choices that are fair and motivating to them. So Let's break this down. In our world today, there are so many moving pieces, so much sensory input, possibly both parents working, higher rates of divorce, families not close to extended families anymore in, in physical proximity. So there, there's a lot of loss of control. And especially depending on when you're listening to this, we just went through a global pandemic, a lot of loss of control. So Naturally, our internal system then seeks control. So choices, offering them fair and motivating choices are a way to give kids back a sense of control. They feel empowered when we offer choices, especially in a world where it's typically dominated by so many adult decisions. So Offering them choices shows them they matter. It shows them their opinion counts. It forces them to think. It forces them to pause and weigh their options. It forces them to think more logically and rationally and grow the parts of the brain that that logic and rationality live in instead of just blatantly following roles and orders. It helps them to think on their own. And it gives them an opportunity to learn because maybe they'll make a choice and realize that ultimately the choice they made wasn't really the one that they wanted because maybe they made it too impulsively. So giving them a chance to live through that and work through that and, and respond to the consequences of that. Okay, so I know again, choices isn't a new concept here, but what I want you to shift and change if you don't already do this is what kind of choices you offer. Choices should be fair and motivating to the child. Both choice options. I see this strategy misused so many times in education, in parenting, because the choices that we tend to offer are a little bit manipulative because they either come in the form of a choice and a and/or a threat, or it's threatening choices, or we will offer two options that are fair to us and none that are fair to the child or an option that's fair to the child and an option that's fair to us or choices that are, again, that manipulative, like (laughs) really just benefiting us. This strategy will only work well when we truly give the child the power back, which means two fair and motivating options to them. So let me give you some examples here you can, I hear this all the time in early childhood, you can put it away or I'll put it away. That's not a choice. That's a threat. It's saying, if you don't do it. I'm going to do it for you. That's taking away the power and control. It's misusing the strategy completely. Um, I've had kids in, in, again, early childhood, it's an easy reference, like nap time is always a problem because 20 kids are expected to lay down quietly for an hour So what about those kids that don't sleep or don't sleep easily or don't sleep in an unfamiliar environment? (laughs) The strategy I've heard uses, well, you can look at books quietly or you can lay on your nap cot. Well, if they already aren't laying on their nap cot, that's not a fair motivating choice. And unless they really love looking at books silently, which some kids do, that's also not a fair motivating choice. So you've just offered two choice options, neither of which are likely to be fair or motivating to the child. So why would they care about picking one or why would that even work? So the point here is to be fair. The point here is to keep choices simple and straightforward. And the the third is make sure the choices are motivating both options. All right. If you have older kids, what you could do, or if you have kids that are defiant and don't want to choose either choice option, you can throw a third choice option back on them. So I might say you can blank or you can blank, or maybe you have a better idea. And, and let them choose. And sometimes they will. Most often, actually, they come up with great options. Sometimes they come up with options that are not possible. <laughs> I remember I had a child, and she's like, "Well, I will jetpack out of the school." And I was like, "Oh, that's a great idea." The problem is neither of us have a jetpack, and if you jetpack out of the roof of the school, there's no hole for you to get out. So just kind of like playing along with it, making it funny, and then suddenly she's diffused and the choices don't even matter anymore. So making sure the choices are fair, they're motivating, they're simple, throw the third choice option back on them. The other thing to think about with choices is sometimes I see the overuse of this strategy. So it can be a good strategy and we don't want to overuse it because then it can produce anxiety because kids develop decision fatigue. If they're offered too many choices, like think about the, the home system where this shoe or that shoe, this shirt or that shirt, this toothpaste or that, like all day long, just choices, 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 choices. That takes logic. It takes reason. And it drains your, your mental capacity, as a, especially as a child who has less ability to build that back up quickly. So mindfully offering choices, not offering too many choices and noting too, that some kids really can't decide between a choice. They have anxiety about choosing the wrong thing. So when they're offered choices, they go back and forth or they choose one of them. They're upset. They didn't choose the other. So if you're seeing that happening, noting that maybe choices aren't the best option for this particular child. So I read a parent say like a lot of choices around like, dinner plates and where to sit and stuff like this. And the, the child would go back and forth, back and forth. And she would get really upset when she chose one. The, the parent gave her that choice. And the parent's like, I don't understand. I gave her the one she wanted. And I said, I think the reality of what's happening is like, you give it to her. And then she's not happy because she's thinking about the one she didn't choose. And she has like, she's anxiety ridden over really just wanting both and, and not being able to have both. So choices probably just weren't the best option for her. All right. And think about too, like eh, how good it would feel as an adult to have some level of choice. I think if you're in in a job where there's so much demand passed down onto you, what if you were given a choice? Like how good would that feel? How freeing would that feel? And why don't we give kids more choices in a world where we take away so much power and control from them? What would it be like if we just gave them back some power and control? And how how much would that build their self-esteem and their sense of self? Here's when not to use this strategy, though. As I've stated already a couple of times, it's a strategy that taps into logic and reason. The prefrontal cortex, the thinking brain, has to be present for a child to be able to make a logical choice. I've seen teachers offer really wonderful, and parents choices at the wrong time, because if a child is highly emotional in a tantrum mode, in a breakdown, whatever it may be, they are stuck in their emotional brain. And when you're too deep into your emotional brain, you can't access logic and reason. So offering a choice in that moment, the child's not going to be able to choose because they don't have access to their logic and reason. So we've got to either get them back into their rational, logical brain first before offering choices or Just don't use choices at that time. So make sure that is a good time to offer choices. Offering them again when a child is dysregulated is just not helpful. All right. That is choices in a nutshell. If you want to learn more about choices and want a whole lot more examples of choices, I want me to help you get some examples for the choices that you need in your situation. I have a whole course designed on (laughs) disarming communication on our courses page on our website where it goes into all seven communication strategies, break them down as you apply them to your own setting, has you leave with uh, a tool to remember all of these communication strategies and really make them your own in your own environment. Okay. That takes us to today's listener question, which is how do we help kids calm down when they insist that they cannot be calmed? The first thing I would say is believe them even if we think they're being dramatic, we need to believe them. The child in that moment might actually feel like they can't calm themselves down. So they might really mean it. And what's happening again, it's connected to what we just talked about. Their emotional brain has taken over their logic and their reason. And they are so deeply dysregulated in their emotional brain. They they feel like they don't, they can't think about what to do to calm. So what does that mean? It means that there's emotional brain dysregulation. There's probably nervous system dysregulation and the child is in such a heightened state. They can't get out on their own. So what do we do? Typically I will do something called co-regulation or essentially modeling. I can't put a demand or request on them because I can't think logically and rationally and process that and apply it. But what I can do is I can model beside or in front of them what I would like them to do. I Don't cue them any language or any words because that's stimulating. I just physically model deep breaths, taking a walk, getting a drink, whatever it is so that they can see my physical response. And then we have these beautiful things called mirror neurons that tend to mimic what we see. So hopefully they will begin to not only catch your calm, but those mirror neurons will pick up on your movements and your actions, and they will begin to start to do those things themselves. So the best thing you can do in that moment, model, model what you want them to do. All right, let's wrap up the show with our try it at home tip, which is around your space, whether it be a classroom, an office, a home, a bedroom. And the tip is less is more for your clarity of mind. So if you live in a house where there are a lot of things, every one of those little things is a piece of, is a piece of sensory stimulation So what we want to do is we want to kind of declutter and minimize. It's why minimalist livers like Tibetan monks are such happy and free people because they don't have things to distract their minds. So I'm going to encourage you to scan your physical space, maybe choose a room and kind of decide on a continuum how much stuff do you have in there? And do you need all that stuff? Or if you need it, can you tuck it away so it's not visually present? Because seeing all those things means the brain has to take in the stimulation of all those things, even if they're not moving things. Still, they still have colors, they still have texture. So the brain is kind of on a loose and light level reading them sensory wise. Every time it walks into the room, but if there's less in the room, there's less for the brain to take in the breast, the brain is less overwhelmed and the, the whole internal system can stay more calm and stay more neutral. Don't believe me. Then try this I <laughs> set up two rooms and put like virtually nothing in one room, just like the bare bones, and then put another room with like a ton of stuff in it, walk in, just stand there, look around the room and see how your internal system feels. I guarantee you the room that's filled with stuff is going to feel a little bit more overwhelming to you. It's going to make you feel a bit more scattered versus in the room that's, that's more empty. Your, your brain and your body want to actually just come down to a neutralized level. So that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Don't forget your try to help tip. Less is more when it comes to your physical space. And if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at the hub.com or send a text. 717-693-7744. And don't forget to lock in what you learned today by either taking it home and applying it or taking it to school and applying it right away. Or even possibly leaving me a comment below with your biggest takeaway or what you're going to do so I can hold you accountable until next episode. I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thanks for joining me.